Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt, the first edition of our new decade, new year, 2020. Music underscoring us from the one and only Sam Brandt. was lucky enough to spend the past couple weeks with him. Always great. And then, of course, we're presented, as always, by betonline.ag. They're your online sportsbook experts. They're the exclusive partner again in 2020 with Podcast One Sportsnet. Use promo code PODCAST1 and receive that 50% sign-up bonus today. BetOnline.ag for our first podcast of the year. I thought I'd do some rants, take you inside a coaching interview, and then some thoughts on a couple coaching searches, especially the one going on with the Cleveland Browns around the league right now. It is that time of year where coaches are being fired, and certainly soon they'll be hired again. I think what people need to understand about coaching uh, firings is everyone's sort of it's sort of this idea that really is uncomfortable. I know I'm partially media now. I guess I'm media. It's part of one of the things I do, although I do it in a different way. I don't cover games. I don't cover teams. I don't report. I use analysis and insight and experience perspective to sort of take you inside things, which I'll talk about again some more today. But I think the thing that people don't know is this affects a lot of people. I know what you're going to say is they sign up for it. They make a lot of money, these coaches, and they do. But the finality of it all is just so stark. Uh, when we fired coaches, I was around two of them during my time in Green Bay. And what happens is it doesn't just affect the top guy. I mean, that's what people focus on. That's where the media focuses. But it's so much more than that. When you fire a coach, you think so many families and people... These coaches have staffs that have sort of tied their wagon, not only theirs, but their family's wagon, to this person at the top. And when they're fired, it's often unsaid whether the whole staff is fired because they want to give the new guy a chance to sort of keep any of the old guys around. So what happens is for a period of a week or two weeks or a month, these, I guess, coaches that were under the deposed coach kind of hang around. They search the internet. They scour what jobs may or may not be open. They wonder who the next guy is going to be. They polish up their interviewing skills and resumes for the next guy. And then, of course, their families are wondering what the heck to do. It's January. Schools are starting the second semester. Do they keep the kids in school there? Do they take them back to whatever hometown, home base they may be from? And if they start the kids in school there, it's going to be a long winter because, well, of course, you know, they probably won't get hired by the new staff. they got to find a new place. The father may have to move on if he's lucky or they stay in a place where they're not really wanted job-wise. So it gets difficult. And then, of course, housing. What do you do? Do you sell your house? Do you keep renting? Do you try to find – I mean, would you go to another place? I mean, it's just a tough time. And as someone who was part of that, not on the coaching side, but I had a mutual decision to leave Green Bay in this time of year, January, February, and and we stayed for a while. It's not easy being around a place where you're not really working for the team, especially in Green Bay, where everyone knows what you're doing. Everybody is, is tuned in to the Packers on so many levels. So I feel for them. And again, I know people are going to say they make a lot of money. They know what they sign up for. But this is a really rough time. I think people have to realize beyond what's going on with the head coach, there's a lot of turmoil going on. 
internally, the turbulence really extends. And then, of course, the new guy will come in, probably have his own staff. There may be one or two holdovers from previous staffs, but not a lot. Unless it's deemed on high by ownership that it has to happen, you're not going to see much of that. It just doesn't happen. So that's in an opening rant about these coaching. And then when the coaches are being interviewed, as starting to happen right now, there's, you know, there are different situations. Sometimes it'll be an owner involved, sometimes GMs and personnel staff. My experience with the interviews is very personnel oriented. When we went through it, whether with Ron Wolf and I was part of that and Ted Thompson, I was part of that in a different way. When we hired Mike McCarthy, it was just more like, okay, here's our team. What do you think? And you go through the personnel groupings. You almost talk as if you're in a, in a um, chalk talk about the team, not really an interview session. Now, of course, Interviews happen where they're detailed. You know, when Mike Sherman got the job, we hired him in 2000. You know, at the Green Bay, you know, we talked about his book, and his book was really from February 1, 2000 to February 1, 2001. Every week, what it would look like, what his staff would look like, who'd he hire, why would he pick these people, and there was so much detail that blew our socks off. And that's what teams are looking for as well. You also want to ask, if you're a team, the tough questions, just like you do players at the combine. You want to ask a, a coach, you know, what happens when things go south? What are you going to do? You lose three in a row. You've lost your starters. What are you going to do? And again, the stock answer is we're just going to get in there and work harder and we're going to work harder and we're going to do this and we're going to buckle up and all that. But you look for little nuggets, you look for little nuggets of ways of dealing with adversity that you may not have heard before. And I tell every team that I ask me, first of all, you got to open up the search. Don't lock in. Have people that are really sort of uh, maybe you just want to find out information on. You know, maybe you just want to get some intel on other teams. So ways of doing business are going to be different. How do you deal with that? Um I think there's always going to be interest in certain teams where spinoff of, of coaches and you send a look at that. Agents are very involved. Search firms are very involved. So I think what a team has to do is sort of cut away all the BS of agents promoting their guys, of search firms, which is one of the most ridiculous boondoggles of all of this, where they're, they're paid hundreds of thousands, in some cases millions of dollars, to suggest the same people that teams could come up with on their own. And it's really a check-the-box thing for the owners to feel like, okay, they pay their money, they know who the best candidates are. And these, these search firms are not, let me just make sure people know this, search firms are not neutral. They have their guys. And whether they have their guys through some kind of you know, honest appraisal or whether they have their guys through somewhere else, it's not a neutral process. So I think people need to know that. But this is all going now with these search firms, with the agents. It's really try to, I think a team has to sort of strip that away and figure out what the, what the real thing is. Okay, now I'll talk about a couple, a coach and a situation that I'll try to provide some insight on. The coach, of course, is Mike McCarthy. 
I was part of hiring him, what is that, 13 years ago? I guess 14 years ago, 2006. And Mike and Sean Payton were the finalists, and we went with Mike because, again, I think what put him over the edge for Sean was he just had a familiarity with the place. He was there years before, and that familiarity breeded trust, and trust breeds transparency. And, again, the interviews were much more kind of uh, bowl sessions and just sort of continuing a process of knowing people. Going through the roster, him talking about his offensive philosophies, uh, and Sean, that was sort of a – you know, really a football nerd dream to sort of listen to those talks about working the perimeter, the boundary, offensive football, vertical. It was just really something to listen to. You know, Mike is in line for a couple interviews, a couple jobs. He's been on ESPN, kind of doing a media tour other places, talking about getting his name out there. He's just spent a year in Green Bay, as I just talked about, that's a tough place to be if you're not working for the Packers and you're in football. Uh, that was tough for me, I can imagine, for him. Although his wife's from there, they have little kids. Obviously, I can see why they stayed. But he has certainly put out the word, it's time to get back in. He wants to get back in. He's got interviews as I speak. He's talking to the Browns. And he'll talk to, I believe, he has talked to the Panthers and the Giants on deck. So that all is happening. Mike's a good man. You know, Mike's, uh, you know, he's got that Pittsburgh tough guy mentality. He's the one thing he's got going for him, opposed to any candidate out there. He has skins on the wall, Super Bowl, championship game, uh, other things that, you know, where you look at and say, well, you know, that I was part of, lucky enough to be a part of where he won. You know, as simple as that, he won. And I'm sure everyone's going to ask him about his relationship with Aaron. As I've said many times, relationships just get stale at times. Certainly, I got stale with people at the Packers over 10 years. He was stale after 12, whatever, 12, 13 years. Uh, you can understand how that happens. And with Aaron, I don't think there's anything negative with Aaron. I think it was ridiculous to suggest that was the reason for his ousting. Um, so here we are. Uh you know, I think Michael do well. He probably will be a leading candidate to get one of these jobs. He probably will. And good for him. Um, fan of Mike as a person. Worked closely with him for a long time and uh, wish him the best. Speaking of Cleveland, where he's interviewing as I record this on Thursday, the 2nd of January, it seems to me that <laughs> there's a lot to resolve about that situation. Uh, I just don't get it. You know, I have been really hesitant to be one of those people that is not on the bandwagon criticizing the Browns. You know, it's so easy. You know, they pick Manziel, homeless guy told him to do that. They fire coaches right and left. They fire staff right and left. They don't seem to know what they're doing. They have this misery of they bring in players this year and they're bad again. What the heck is going on? And what I have said about Haslam all along, the owner of the Browns, is that, listen, give them the benefit of the doubt. Look what they're doing. Despite tens, not singles, tens of millions of dollars paid to fired staff, paid to fired coaches, paid to fired executives, paid to fired GMs, paid to fired presidents, like my good friend Joe Banner. He keeps trying to get it right, and he's willing He's willing to spend all those tens of millions of dollars. So I've always said, okay, good for him. I can't criticize that. You know, can't criticize that. 
He's doing it. So what I say about the Browns is I have been supportive. And when they brought on Paul DePodesta, one of the gurus from the Moneyball era in baseball, played by Jonah Hill in the movie in the movie with Billy Bean, with Brad Pitt, Bunny Ball, I said, good for them, good on them, trying something new, the analytical model. It's worked in other sports. It's an added advantage. It's something that could work. And with the factory of sadness that they've been for so long, why not? Why not? Set it all along. But then, now I have to be critical of the Browns. Then they go with a coach, Hugh Jackson, who clearly is not all in on the analytical stuff, even though for a while they had a GM that appeared to be in on it, Sashi Brown. And then they go with a coach, again, Freddie Kinchins, who doesn't appear to be anywhere near the analytical, you know, avant-garde, new age coach that you would think. No. And then they hire my old friend, John Dorsey. I worked with John 10 years at the Packers. He is an old school scout and good at it in his element, scouting college players, going to college campuses, coming up with the draft board, work in the room. Working agents, very well connected, but not someone you would say is a part of a new age analytical model in sports. So for the past, whatever, three years, we've had coaches and management not in on it. So I thought, yeah, it was great they hired DePodesta, but I guess I thought, okay, they kind of put him in a corner and he hadn't done anything. But now we hear he's all in, they're back in with him, or maybe they never left him. And he's the man behind the curtain running the Browns, which I say, great, but tell everyone that, buy in, be transparent, and say, we are doing this analytical thing. And get a coach who's all in, and get a management who's all in. I just don't get it with the Browns. It's fine to turn over if you're still trying to get the right fit. It's fine to be all in on analytics, but don't be contradictory on each. I just don't get it. So my wish for the Browns is if DePodesta, whether he's in La Jolla, California, or Berea in uh, Ohio, or wherever he is, if he's your guy, all in, go. Great. But make him that. And make the coach report to that. And be all in on that. And embrace it. And make the GM be all in on that. And embrace it. And be into it. And DePodesta's the guy. And we heard about DePodesta, you know, sort of smirking at all the old line people in the NFL, critical of the Browns doing that, hearing it while he was standing in line at the combine. Great. That's a cool story. But your own team doesn't seem to have bought in. Your own coaches haven't. Your own management hasn't. Your own front office hasn't. What the heck? So the Browns. Forget about, you know, whether Mayfield's the guy, whether they did a good thing with Beckham. You know, I don't even, who cares? What's their philosophy? What do they stand for? What's their principle? I think DePodesta is great. You know, I just, I love the line from Moneyball, where Jonah Hill, the character, is listening to all these old school bird dog scouts with their head in the 1960s saying, why do you like this guy, DePodesta? Why? He can't hit, he can't throw, he can't hit for power. He's got limited tools, blah, 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 blah. And Jonah Hill just looks at him and says, he gets on base. What's wrong with that? <laughs> and to me, that encapsulates it. You want players that 
produce. And as the lead character in Moneyball, I love the line, I say it all the time, Billy Bean, played by Brad Pitt, yells out at one point, adapt or die. It seemed like the Browns would be first adapters, but they've died. Now they're going to try again, maybe with De Podesta, with that character who said he gets on base. Give it to him. Here we go. That's my rant. Uh, my several rants for this week about what's going on in sports, especially the Browns, with this crazy time of year. It's so final. We talked about coaches and for players, too. This final 20 teams this week have cleared out. You know, and I just remember being at the Packers, whether it was right after the season or after the playoffs, they clear out. And you're looking at that empty, empty room, locker room. And players walk out, I'll never forget, they'll look at, at least once a year, I'd get a question, hey, Andrew, do you have to stay here? I'm like, yeah, I work here. So, uh, yeah, it becomes three or four months where you have no players around, then they sort of scatter in for these. Now we have this reduced CBA uh, off-season program, so we'll see what happens. But that's really, you know, my thoughts for this, this sort of strange week in the business of football. And then a, a quick note on the business of college football, two quick notes. One, we're going to find out about all the underclassmen coming out or not coming out and uh, in the next week or so. And I get it. You know, people are saying you should stay in school. You should do this. You should do that. But listen, how are you going to tell someone to stay in school in a sport that has a 100% injury rate? What is the value of that? I know, listen, I'm all in education. I work in education. My day job is in education. But yes, I'm a business person too. If someone's got a modicum of coming out and making some money in football, why not? Because the chances are it's not going to improve next year. And there are chances for this is sort of the same argument of resting starters in the last game for the, before the playoffs, as so many teams did in the NFL in week 17. It's about the goal. And if there's risk towards the goal, why do it? You know, the goal of college athletes is really to play professionally. If there's risk in subjecting their body to that punishment next year, why do it? I mean, I just have to say that. And yes, the numbers go up because of what I just said and because the CBA. You know, you have that low earning contract for four years now. Can't renegotiate it for three years. So yeah, come out. Start the clock. And I have to say that. And the final point is where people say, well, we can go back and get an insurance policy. Please. Insurance companies are not stupid. A lot of these insurance policies are PTD, permanent total disability. How often does that happen? You know, where someone is permanently and totally disabled. One in 100,000? One in 500,000? Come on. And then these loss of earnings policies, come on. First of all, the premiums are ridiculous, and they don't pay off. So this idea that, oh, yeah, I'll just go to school, come back at an insurance policy. No, it's not. doesn't happen that way. This is not fantasy football. So I just, again, trying to clear up a lot of misconceptions, trying to break it down. The business of football, whether it's college or pro, it wins. So do what you can to mitigate the damage that can come to your career in the business of football. 
That's true for that's true for NFL. That's true for college. Those are my wishes, and I wish you all a happy and healthy new year. Again, I am in the third decade of a career. Chapter three, decade as an agent. Although I'm doing some of that now, I understand that. I can explain that more in a future podcast. A decade as a team executive, and now this decade to try to give back. I don't. I'm not a scientist. I can't cure cancer. I can't cure disease. But what I can do is pull back the curtain on the inner workings of the business of sports, the law of sports, especially in football, and take my listeners, my viewers, my podcast listeners, and my students inside this world and hopefully learn, hopefully make you smarter, make you better about your understanding of what really happens in sports. I hope I'm doing that. I'm going to do more of that now that I've done a decade of it. I'm going to do more of it in the next decade ahead. Maybe some new projects ahead too. I wish you all a happy and healthy new year ahead. That is week one of 52 on the Business of Sports podcast. Let's give a final word to our sponsor, Bet Online. We are now in it with NFL Wildcard Weekend. So much going on. The wild card games are all out there in addition to the college football bowl games. Visit our good friends, exclusive partner at Podcast One, betonline.ag. Take advantage of these best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account. Make sure to use that promo code. I always say it, all caps, Podcast One, for your 50% sign-up bonus today. Wild card games are out there. You know what they are. The Eagles and Seahawks, I think, is the most interesting. Of course, you've got Patriots and Titans. You've got Bills and Texans and the Saints and where I just was in New Orleans for a few days and the Vikings. Love it. Love this time of year. Bet online, your exclusive online sportsbook experts. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brand. As I said, music is from the one and only Sam Brandt, my son, musician, producer extraordinaire. Speaking of extraordinaire, my producer on this podcast, Brian Neal, thanks to him. Thanks to you who follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt and leave any rankings or comments on Apple Podcasts or wherever you hear your podcasts. Hope you enjoyed week one, my Brandt's Rants edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. And we'll be back next week with another edition, week two of 2020 of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.